Peyton Plessela and his brother Connor have done almost everything together. They grew up together in Mobile, Alabama, went to Mass together every Sunday, attended the same Catholic grade school and high school, joined the same life teen group, played the same sports. Connor was a better athlete than I was, admittedly. And a few months ago, they were both ordained Catholic priests together in the Diocese of Mobile. Growing up, none of us, my parents even, none of us imagined that any of us would become priests, much less that like two of us, like me and Connor, would become priests. For whatever reason, God chose to call us, and he did. And, and we were just fortunate enough to have had the foundations from both our parents and our educations to, to hear it and then to say yes, you know. Discernment. Discernment is hearing God's call, praying about it with a community, entrusting it to the wisdom of the church and to the Holy Spirit. Discernment is also one of those things that in Catholic circles is often talked about and often argued about and often misunderstood. And discernment is what we're talking about this week. What is it? How do you do it? What isn't it? In our first segment, Brothers Peyton and Connor Plasala heard calls to the priesthood within days of each other. They talked to CNA Newsroom about individual journeys that ultimately led them to a shared ordination day. Then, what happens when discernment leads you to leave a religious community? We don't talk about that very much, but today we will. Finally, a vocation is a call to God. That can be a call to a state in life, to priesthood or religious life, or it can be a call to some apostolic work or ministry. God can lead us to marriage or sometimes call us away from it. There are a lot of debates in some Catholic circles about what is or is not a vocation. And if you ask me, most of those debates are pretty silly. The most important vocation we have is the call of our baptism, the call that every single one of us is made to be a saint, let that sink in. It's pretty profound. After that call, God can call us in lots of different particular directions in lots of different ways. But being overly rigid about some fixed idea of vocations and what they are and what they aren't kind of misses the point that God works in our life to call us to follow him every single day. Still, there are a lot of people who really want to be married, who feel like that's what God made them for. And for whatever reason, they're not married. In our last segment today, we talk with a Catholic dating coach about how she helps women make dating work for them. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast God called us to make, and the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. If you're called to it, stay with us. Both Peyton and Connor can pinpoint the first moment either of them considered the priesthood. It was in 2011, during a pilgrimage to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. It's, it's interesting, actually, now thinking about it, that we just got ordained on the same day, because our vocation journey began on the same day as well. If you've ever made a pilgrimage to the March for Life in Washington, your experience likely involved cramming onto a charter bus with, like, 60 of your closest friends. You pass the time by playing games, practicing cheers for the march, or at a certain point in the drive, having soul-bearing conversations with the people in the seats next to you. Peyton and Connor were on the same charter bus, and at some point on the drive from Mobile to Washington, 
Peyton got to talking, really talking, with their new high school chaplain. The priest was fresh out of seminary, and though Peyton had met him a few times before, this was the first time he really got to sit down with the priest and get to know him better. That's when I realized for the first time, I was like, man, like I could do this. You know, like he's just, he, he is so at peace with himself and so joyful and like having so much fun. Like I could do this, you know, this is a life that I could actually do. Connor's vocational aha moment came a little later on that pilgrimage during the youth rally mass that traditionally takes place the evening before the march. At the end of the mass, everybody sits down and he has different groups of people to stand up, which is typical at some of those massive gatherings. You know, like all the bishops stand up, so start clapping. All the priests and deacons stand up, so start clapping. All the religious, the monks, nuns, brothers and sisters stand up, so we all start clapping. And then he says, if there's anybody discerning priesthood or religious life, stand up. Now at this point, I wasn't. I was not discerning priesthood or religious life. But when he said this, I heard the Holy Spirit in my heart say, that's you. That's what you're going to do with your life. I said, okay. So I stood up, shot out of my seat saying, yeah, I'm going to discern the priesthood. And he did. Connor prayed about it every day after that moment. During his lunch period, he'd slip into the chapel at their high school for five minutes or so. And asked the Lord, are you calling me to be a priest? And slowly it turned into, you are calling me to be a priest. And so about a year and a half later, on the heels of his high school graduation, Connor entered the seminary. Peyton experienced the draw of the priesthood on the same trip as Connor did, but it took Peyton a little longer to enter the seminary. I was combating like, man, well, do I go to seminary or do I go to LSU to become a doctor? You know, because I wanted to go to LSU before that. Um, that's where my mom went. Both of my parents met at LSU med school, so we were LSU fans like growing up, you know, all our lives. Just like Connor, Peyton prayed about it and prayed about it. But the more I prayed, I, re- I, I just I felt God's call was not to go to seminary at that time. I just kind of, I didn't feel ready yet. Peyton enrolled at LSU, but he didn't dismiss his experience on the March for Life completely. He joined a discernment group and made a deal with God. He would continue discerning the priesthood during his first year at LSU. If he still felt strongly pulled to join the seminary, he'd join at the end of the school year. You know, I prayed about it, I prayed about it, but after that first semester, I really, I did not feel called to the priesthood whatsoever. So I kind of, I was like, okay, I take that as a sign. I'm going to stay here. By junior year, Peyton had settled into life at LSU. He started dating someone. He was still really involved in his faith, but he set aside thoughts of the priesthood. In January, he agreed to chaperone his high school's annual pilgrimage to the March for Life. One night during the pilgrimage, Peyton was praying in adoration. And I just had a, I had an overwhelming like sense of clarity and connection with the Lord in prayer that night. And I I heard the Lord ask me, do you really want to be a doctor? And I was about to take the MCAT. Like I was full on, you know, getting ready to go to med school. I just sat there and when the question was asked, I, I just had to answer honestly. And I said, no. Peyton really liked medicine. He was good at it. But even he had to admit his heart just wasn't in it. So what now? The Lord spoke one other time and he said, I want you, I want you to go to seminary. And the moment I heard that, my heart felt more at peace than it had in, in maybe ever in my life. I just like knew in that moment, I was like, I'm going to go to seminary. He called me and says, hey, I think I'm, I think I'm going to come to seminary. I was shocked. I was excited. I was extremely excited. By that point, Connor was already two years into college seminary. Peyton was in his third year at LSU, and a lot of his credits could transfer over. So they ended up in the same seminary class. 
Both Peyton and Connor say their time in seminary has impacted their relationship in a lot of ways. Growing up, they were always friends, but there was a spirit of competition between them, and Connor was always known as Peyton's little brother. But when Peyton entered seminary, I was the more experienced one in the seminary system. When Peyton enters, it's kind of like he entered my world again. But I, I kind of felt like the older brother at times because I knew what was going on, you know. Connor found himself coaching Peyton in much the same way that his brother had coached him when he started high school. And then there was coming to terms with the fact that they had both changed. And though they would continue to share a lot in common, both brothers were their own men. We may be in the same school now, in the seminary, and going after the same vocation, priesthood. But it doesn't mean we're going to be the same, and it doesn't mean we're going to do it the same, and it doesn't mean we're going to have the same path. Now, I know Peyton's gifts a lot better, and he knows my gifts, and so we can rely on each other, we can work together a lot better than we could, you know, when we were kids. The priesthood was a surprise for both Peyton and Connor. Sure, they grew up in a Catholic family and were surrounded by great Catholic influences in their schools and in their parish. Their faith had always been important to them. But the priesthood was still unexpected, and they say their journey to the priesthood teaches an important lesson about the nature of discernment. Discernment is, is something that's done in action and in motion. I think, you know, we're millennials, uh, and Connor are, um, and it's just one of those, like, the great, the great pain of millennials is like sitting there and trying to think of what you want to do with your life for so long that you just like your life just passes you by, right? And so, um, what, one of the things I like to encourage young people to do is just if you're if you're discerning, do something about it. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 great and it's important. You pray about it. Um, it's great and important that you uh, you know that you kind of think about it, but discernment of priesthood can only truly be done in the context of seminary formation. And if you realize that the priesthood isn't for you, Peyton said that time of discernment isn't wasted. Get right, you know, with God when it comes to your call. And if, and if God, after a couple years of seminary, says, no, I want you to go get married now, it's probably because he needed you to come find him in a unique way in seminary. And now you can go be even a better father, better husband than you would have been maybe before, you know, sitting here twiddling your thumbs and waiting for God to come drag you to where he wants you to go, you know. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Michelle LaRosa. Sometimes following God means sacrificing something good, even something that makes us happy in order to follow the Holy Spirit's prompting in our lives. That story after the break. Hello, this is Kevin Jones. I'm a longtime journalist with Catholic News Agency. I want to thank you for listening to CNA Newsroom. We bring you the voices behind the headlines. We explore our world together with an eye towards our faith. If you enjoy CNA Newsroom as much as I do, be sure and subscribe to the show. You'll never miss an episode. Subscribing is easy and free on any podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Just open your phone's podcast app, then search for CNA Newsroom. Click the subscribe button. That way, you'll get our episodes as soon as we post them. Happy listening, and make sure you check out episode 22, featuring yours truly, Kevin Jones. Now, back to the show.
Cecilia Giacone was in college when she first realized God might be calling her to religious life. When she thought she heard that call, she was ready to drop everything. As a young woman, I was and felt this call to give up my life totally for Jesus. And so basically it felt like, all right, Jesus, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. You know, I will never talk to my family again if that's what you want me to do. Cecilia visited several religious communities, and she remembers being really impressed by the examples of extreme poverty they lived. And I I would visit them and love them, and their life was so attractive to me. But when I would pray with them, I just, I knew that God wasn't speaking to me there. Then Cecilia visited the Daughters of St. Paul. The Daughters of St. Paul are known for their work in media. They run a publishing company called Pauline Books, and they have a network of Catholic bookstores under the same name. Anyway, Cecilia said something about their life clicked with her. It was their spirituality and the way that they prayed that I said, okay, if God is really calling me to be a saint, um, this is where I think he he might be calling me to do that. And it was kind of, it was funny as, uh, because I had just said, you know, Jesus, I will go to Africa. Jesus, I will do anything. And he says, okay, you know, I want you to go on Twitter. Like, <laughs> like that, that was like, a different level of of humility for me to to accept that call of really saying, okay, am I willing to do anything that Jesus asks me to, even if it's not in my mind what what I've carved out as a religious vocation looking like? Cecilia packed up her things and moved away from home to start formation with the Daughters of St. Paul. She was nearing her fourth year with the community when she discerned that God was asking her to leave. Here's Cecilia. You know, people think that entering religious life is this extremely, extremely difficult decision. And in some ways it is, but it's a lot easier to say, oh, it's God's will for me to enter religious life than it is to say it's God's will for me to leave religious life. Am I just leaving because, you know, I really miss my family and friends? Am I just leaving because I want to travel or, you know, I miss having my own independence? You know, all of these parts of our souls, you know, really are, are on the table when it comes comes down to that. And so it was it was really, really difficult. And it was a different kind of sense of obedience to the will of God because I had been so excited to enter the community and, you know, go all in. And it was very, very difficult um, to accept that it was God's will, at least at this time, for for me to leave. I want to take a step back from the story to when Cecilia had just met the Daughters of St. Paul. She says their spirituality really spoke to her and her heart was set on joining the community. The application process for formation was pretty in-depth. Cecilia said she underwent a psychological evaluation, she had a couple of other doctor's appointments, and she had several interviews with the Daughters of St. Paul. All in all, that application process took a few months to complete. It sounds intense, but Cecilia says it didn't feel that way. After it was over, I looked back and was like, wow, that was a lot of work, and it didn't feel like that much work, because really it it was this I, I, I can only attribute it to grace, you know, that God was just moving me in that direction. Once she was accepted, Cecilia packed up her things and moved in with a small community in St. Louis. The community had about nine sisters, and there were a couple of other young women there also entering formation. Cecilia says she had some anxiety that first night. Who wouldn't? Everything was new, and everything felt so permanent. It was 
a big deal. Realizing like, wait, this is my home now. You know, um, I'm no longer just a visitor trying it on for a little while. Like, this is now my life. The first few months, it's just like everyone seems to be so holy. Everyone seems to be, you know, at a whole nother level and trying to figure everything out from what time should I be in chapel in the morning to, you know, how are we loading the dishwasher to, you know, the, the different little nuances of religious life. And actually, it was funny, after I'd been in religious life a year, I went back and, and read my journal from the first week that I'd been there. And uh, the line, and it still it makes me laugh to this day, I said, I've already been in the convent for a week and I'm finally getting the hang of it. As the days passed, Cecilia and the other young women fell into their routines with the community. And that initial sense that everyone around her was so holy and perfect, that faded away. You know, you see little things that, uh, you know, are are just real in religious life of whether it's, you know, someone had a bad day, someone got sick, you know, there was an issue in the building, something like that. But those things didn't turn Cecilia off. In fact, she said they made her love religious life even more. It's this realization that, okay, this is like a sustainable form of living. Like, I can live this. I'm not trying to fit myself into this ideal mold. You know, I I can be myself and it's okay if I make mistakes and it's okay if sometimes I have bad days, that this is my life. And Cecilia really liked how she fit into that new life. It was so obvious that they just wanted me to be myself, you know, not to walk into chapel with my hands folded just the right way as though, you know, I just had a vision, but to really, really be myself and before the Lord, and then also in my community. As part of her formation, Cecilia met regularly with several sisters to talk about how things were going and how God was moving in her life. The truth was that things were going really well, just like Cecilia thought they would. It's interesting because I think for different women and men too who enter, you know, religious life or or anything really, we all kind of have this attitude of you know, okay, yes, it's it's discernment. Some people, it's even more, you know, they enter and they're like, I'm not really sure and I'm here to find out. Um, but for me, it was really more, I felt very confident that that was where God was calling me. And, and initially, especially, the formation process just kind of seemed like a formality. After a couple of years living with the Daughters of St. Paul, Cecilia formally entered the novitiate. If you don't know much about religious life, you can think of it this way. Cecilia leveled up. This is where the story gets really difficult, um, you know, and where it kind of breaks from what people might expect for me. I had entered the novitiate and um, felt great. You know, I it was like, this is my home. This is where I belong. As a novice, she was living in a new, larger community of the Daughters of St. Paul. This one had about 75 sisters. And... She continued meeting regularly with her formators to talk about how God was moving in her life. And Cecilia says during those first few months of the novitiate, a lot of personal things came up for her. It became pretty obvious to her and to her formators that God wanted Cecilia to work on those things. And so over the course of, of a few of those months was trying to work on, on these things within the context of the novitiate, and it just wasn't working. Um, it was just so obvious that 
God desired to heal me of some things and that it wasn't his will for it to take place within religious life. But that's where in my discernment, I was so grateful that discernment's actually two-sided in religious life, that it wasn't just me making the decision, but that I had the help of the community and especially of my formators in discerning what God was doing in my life and discerning that, you know, it really was his will for, for me to leave at that time, uh, as much as none of us really wanted that. But, you know, obedience to God's will is is at the core of a religious vocation, you know, and, and it doesn't change when it's God's will uh, for someone to leave. The actual day when I left, um, my my dad had come up to, to pick me up and it was a Sunday at lunch. So all of the sisters were there at the mother house and they lined up one by one to, to give me a hug, um, you know, and to tell me that that they would be praying for me and, you know, that that I was always welcome, you know, to come back and anything that I needed to let them know. And that was this really beautiful confirmation that the past three and a half years of my formation had been real. You know, it hadn't been superficial, that we really had become family. Cecilia left the Daughters of St. Paul in February. Now she's working as a communications manager for a parish in Philadelphia, and she said she's using a lot of the media training she got from the Daughters of St. Paul. She's also working on those personal things that came up during her time with the community. And she says she feels good about where things stand. But sometimes she feels anxious. I had this defined path and I was ready. And, you know, I could have told you, generally speaking, what the next several years of my life would have looked like. If there's one thing Cecilia has learned from this experience, it's that a lot of things are out of her control. But she says she knows now that she can choose to trust the Lord. Just like when I was in religious life and said, okay, God, if this is really where God is calling me, he'll give me the grace to sustain me. And so I'll trust him. And I trust that if this isn't where he's calling me, he will lead me somewhere else. And that's exactly what he's done. And so now that, you know, in my day-to-day life, I'm, you know, being faithful in in the midst of a pandemic to what God reveals to to be his will for me right now. Um, And when that fear comes up, it's another opportunity uh, to trust that, you know, he's led me this far and and that he'll, he'll keep leading me. Cecilia says her approach to discernment has also changed. She used to think discernment was like a problem to be figured out, like a puzzle. And once you figure it out, you're set. Now I see it more as this, um, it's a continuous action because God is always at work in our lives and that we can't pretend to know exactly what God is doing. Did I fail at religious life? Did I fail at doing God's will either in entering, like was it not his will for me to enter, or in leaving? What's developed over these past several months is the sense that like this is all just a part of the story that God's writing. This is all a part of my personal salvation and he doesn't have it divided into neat chapters in terms of, you know, that was my chapter of religious life and now I'm on to another chapter. But that that time has really 
informed my life and he is continuing to use that to form me now um, into the person that he wants me to be and and only he's the one that knows that So what happens if you believe you're called to marriage and you've been praying and praying and praying about it and, well, it seems like nothing is happening? That's where Claudine Noel can step in. My name is Claudine and I am a life coach. My mission is really to work with other Catholic and Christian women who might feel stuck in certain areas of their lives. In their career, in their relationships, and in their love life or lack thereof. I help them to combine what they're already doing in their faith life with some coaching tools and inner work and help them move forward with whatever goal that they want to achieve. Before we go any further, I think it's important to clarify for Claudine's sake, Claudine is not a matchmaker. (laughs) No, I'm not a matchmaker. You know, obviously I, I can't guarantee that if you do coaching, you know, you'll meet the love of your life in six sessions or you'll get married, you know, in a year. Of course, you know, God's timing plays a huge role in all of this. So we have to be, you know, aware of that. You know, no one can 100% control the outcome. But my position is there's still so much that we can do. Claudine started her coaching business this year under the name Feminine Genius Coaching. She says even starting the business involved a lot of discernment for her. I wanted to make sure that I was doing something that, you know, God was calling me to do or leading me to do. I didn't want to just be doing something sort of on my own whim or fancy. The new role fits Claudine really well. Friends have long described her as a great listener, someone people feel they can really talk to. She says she was inspired to start the business by her own experience with coaching after she found herself feeling stuck a few years back. I learned about coaching and I found coaches for different kind of phases and stages of my own journey. And like a lot of people who become coaches, you start to notice a lot of shifts in your life and in your thought process. And as you start to heal and grow, you realize, hey, I want to I want to do this, too. I want to help other women who might be like me, who are very like solid in their faith, but feel like there's still more room to grow. Claudine says none of the coaches she worked with approached their coaching from a place of faith. And I think that was part of the impetus that also inspired me to think about becoming a coach because I felt that there was a gap, there was a need that wasn't being filled currently. She got some training in personal coaching, and beginning this year, Claudine started accepting clients. She kept her day job as a physician, so she's limited in the number of coaching clients she can take at one time. Probably four clients is my max. Clients receive one private coaching session per week, usually lasting about an hour or an hour and a half, depending on the program. I usually work with my clients between sessions. They have access to me through like a messaging type of app so that they can get support in between their private sessions as well. Claudine's clientele is mostly Catholic women, and some are single Catholic women who want to be married, but it just hasn't worked out yet. 
Claudine says she works with these women to help them achieve a new level of clarity in their approach to their vocation. It's really about being able to really see something correctly, make a judgment, make a decision. And it's important to apply this to all areas of our life, but especially our vocation. Claudine says the first step toward clarity is prayer. It's a conversation with God. This is really where spiritual direction can come in, right? So talking to a priest, maybe talking to a sister, going on retreats, doing those spiritual exercises, going to adoration, really seeking God's will for your life. Usually by the time a woman is speaking to me, she's probably already done that part of of discernment and getting clarity. The next step is identifying any patterns of belief that may be holding the client back. Becoming more aware of of those wounded parts of our mind and our hearts that need to be healed. So again, it's being bold. It's asking the Holy Spirit to reveal and show us those areas that need healing. You know, those ways of thinking, those ways of being that aren't really serving her. I think for a lot of people, the reality is love can be scary. Fear is at the root of a lot of it. And, you know, there could be very good reasons why a person has a fear of love or a fear of relationships. You know, those are some things that we explore in coaching. Besides fear, Claudine says she also sees a lot of passivity in her clients. You know, we sometimes have this very strong belief that, well, if it's meant to be, it'll just happen. Or, you know, this man who's just like St. Joseph, he'll just cross your path. And that that can happen. Sometimes that happens. Um, but at the same time, it's not the most empowered perspective, you know, to live, live from, especially when it comes to something as important as your vocation. And it's really similar to magical thinking. Just sort of waiting like this person will just drop from the sky. And, you know, it is it is a little bit of like what, what kids do. You know, we call that like magical thinking when they, you know, believe that something will just, you know, happen or appear. And so I think it's really important for, you know, people to to think about, are there some actions that I could be taking to sort of facilitate this process as well? Claudine says single Catholics can trust in God while also taking an active role in discerning their vocation. I don't think it shows a lack of trust to, to be involved in the process or to take more tangible action towards making something happen. Claudine says the final step toward clarity is visualization. I find that, you know, sometimes people can be very specific about things like, you know, he has to look a certain way, he has to be this height or have this job or this income level, uh, but they haven't really thought about the deeper qualities. So, you know, his character, his heart, how you feel when you're with him, how he treats you, what the marriage is going to look like. So, again, it's gaining clarity sort of in these three in these three directions. Claudine approaches her coaching from a perspective of faith, but she makes it clear that what she's offering is not spiritual direction. It's not that in coaching, we're not considering like the spiritual aspects of a person because particularly in my practice, the faith, the spirituality is very important, but I'm not, you know, a pastoral counselor. I don't have training in, you know, like theology. So I'm not really able to to guide someone on those kind of spiritual matters or matters that are best served by like a priest or, or a nun or a sister or someone who's trained in spiritual direction. Coaching is more about, about the journey and moving someone forward towards a spe- specific goal. I actually had a client recently uh, tell me that, you know, she's working with 
a spiritual director, but she also felt the need to get a coach because there's some areas that, you know, the priest couldn't really help her with like the goal setting and the tools and like the actual tangible plan of action to move forward. I asked Claudine if she had any advice for Catholics who feel stuck, who are trying to discern their vocation and they're having a hard time with it. Here's what she said. Never give up. You know, it takes a lot of courage, uh, a lot of humility, vulnerability to do any type of, you know, inner work or personal development. And yeah, I think it can be very uh, sometimes tiring or if it feels like things aren't changing, things aren't happening. It's very easy, again, to just want to either blame God or to just, you know, give up and and stop trying. But I would say never give up. Your desires are, are met for you. They're there for a reason. And if God is placing something in your heart, you should give it all that you can to make it happen. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Oliveira. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. If you feel called to it, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. We're produced and edited by Kate Oliveira and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. Special thanks this week to the Placella brothers, to Cecilia Ciccone, and to Claudine Noel. And if you have a vocation to listen to CNA Newsroom, we'll see you next week. Next time on CNA Newsroom. Deaf Catholics are starving for the faith. English is typically not their first language. It's not just English put into signs. It has its own rules, its own grammar structures, its own expectations, its own art and style and dialects and and all of those other things. You know, they show up to church. There's no interpreter. They don't know what's going on at mass. They go to religious ed. They can't understand what the teacher's saying or no one even bothers to teach them their faith. Subscribe and listen to CNA Newsroom wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.